0: This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Welcome to our final session on World Religions. I should just mention, we had originally, uh, there was some communication breakdown, we looked at uh, actually having... or six sessions, but it ended up with four in the schedule and I was in Honduras and they're emailing me and I had no contact with the outside world where we were on a mission trip recently and so that's why I have the four sessions instead of the six. But uh, I'd like to talk about the concept of postmodernism now that I'm sure everybody has heard of and everybody has some ideas uh, about, but but really is is a very very pervasive kind of mentality within our culture. So with that in mind, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Um, someone tell me a session of a, of another seminar you've been to. I'm just interested. I keep wanting to be in other places. Someone tell me something you've gone to that was really meaningful. Um, Alan White, White and UFOs. Okay. Lots of other things. Yeah. Yeah. A very catchy title that gets your curiosity up, doesn't it? Okay, yes, sir. Ooh, very, very important. I I really hope that you'll communicate to GYC leadership how much it's beneficial to have this wide variety of seminars, not just on two or three topics, but I hope everybody's finding something that meets their needs and so forth. So with that in mind... uh, Again, welcome, and uh, we're glad to have you here. I'm not sure if our audio is on. Are we ready to go with the audio? Okay, terrific. Welcome, my name is Glenn Russell. I teach at Andrews University in the undergrad religion program. Most people don't realize that we have more than a seminary. We also have a college religion department, and it's my privilege of teaching world religions and missions and other courses there and i just find it to be such such a joy and a privilege i come to missions by birth i was born in cairo egypt my parents were missionaries in the middle east for 27 years i spent the first 17 18 years of my life in the middle east and uh, now i i never thought i'd be a missionary to america and i say that seriously because i fully expected to be a missionary somewhere overseas. God did not lead in that direction. And so now I'm using my opportunities at Andrews University to teach about missions and hopefully uh, maybe uh, inform and inspire some others to go and serve. And we take yearly uh, several mission trips. Uh, We usually spend about a month with students in the Middle East where they really get into the culture and, and have that experience. We also do mission trips to Honduras and Africa and other places. So I'm glad to come to this subject because it's a subject that's very, very different than what we usually talk about in missions. That's postmodernism. You will see a link here uh, for the handout if you'd like it, HTTP, bitly slash le capital WKH5P. Why Dropbox chose those particular random (laughs) letters and numbers I don't know it'll be on again at the end of the of the slides today so that you can have a chance to to pick up everything that's on the screen you'll have and they'll be producing the audio also so let's talk about postmodernism, the cross and whatever when we talk about world religions you wouldn't think that that comes into figure because you have Christianity and Islam and Hinduism Buddhism but notice right here The non-religious, many of whom are postmodern or the other categories, are a big chunk. Postmodernism affects more people than, say, Buddhism does and so forth. So a big chunk of the world is affected by this. If we're going to take a look at things kind of uh, historically or philosophically, academically, the three main Western worldviews kind of have these time periods that go the pre-modern era, the modern era, and the postmodern era. I could ask you about time periods for those, and and let's just quickly try to get some idea. The pre-modern era really took us up to the French Revolution. When was that? Okay, I know it's the middle of the afternoon, and asking you to think about history is a big step. So the French Revolution takes place uh, right after the US Revolution and so forth. And the idea that was dominant in the pre-modern era, What we would think of is the medieval times. And prior to that was that God exists, truth exists, and both are real. If you had walked up to a farmer in Germany, in France, in the 1500s, the 1400s, the 1300s, the 1200s, and said, is there a God? They would have looked at you. Of course, everybody knows there's a God. Is God real? Does truth exist? Of course. Why are you even asking these questions? Today you would get entirely different answers. So God exists, truth exists, both are real, there's no question about it. The only argument is which truths and which ideas about God and so forth. But the greatest truths were supernatural. Things about spiritual things. So of all the areas of study, which was the king of all the disciplines academically? Obviously it would be theology. Because in the Pre modern era, truth, divine spiritual truth, was most important. Human knowledge was limited. If you ask somebody during those time periods, how did this come about? How did that come about? They would say, you know, we don't know. God knows. How am I supposed to know? Uh, there wasn't a scientific explanation for everything and so forth. This is the pre modern era up through the French Revolution in the 1789 and, and 1799, that 10 year period of time. This was the dawn of the modern era. And at that time, there's a great challenge to the authority of the monarchy and the church. In fact, the prostitute was taken and marched into the into the church and, and enthroned as the God, the, the, the queen of reason and so forth, uh, the queen of faith. I mean, all kinds of things went on, but human reason, and human rights were elevated above divine wisdom and divine truth. Did you catch that? Human rights and human reason became more important than divine rights, divine teachings, divine truth. And you'll see that that continues till today. We go into the modern era, starting with the French Revolution, as I said, with history progressing now, not through the the queen of all disciplines, theology, but through the king of all disciplines, what? Science, science. And you need to be able to prove things through logic or through the scientific method. Science is not a foundation of truth. It's a a method of truth, seeking truth. But there's very clearly a, a belief in objective truth. You could say a statement of what we call prepositional fact, you know, gravity works things that are heavier than air drop, you know? That would be a prepositional truth, and that was objective, and, you know, a modern era person would accept that idea. So the idea was to hammer home which truths can be proven. Let me give you an example of this. When I was growing up, and, and perhaps your parents can tell you about this, I don't see much in churches anymore, but when I was growing up on the back of every church bulletin, What was there on the back of the bulletin? A list of the fundamental beliefs. We believe, and there they were. You won't find that very often anymore. People are not looking for fundamental beliefs. They're not looking for objective truths. They're looking for other things we'll talk about in a moment. This belief in propositional truth, this belief in truth that can be proven, led to secularization of the world because after all, you can't prove theology. You can't prove you got an answer to prayer. You just can tell me that you got something you think is an answer to prayer. So if you can't use a scientific method to replicate the flood or creation, then therefore we can't accept those ideas. So the modern era moved away from biblical truth, although it did other things. Postmodernism comes about. When does postmodernism really become vibrant in society? Someone give me a century? Actually, in the 1960s, postmodernism really begins to to become strong. The seeds were there even in the 1920s and 30s in various philosophical and artistic places, but postmodernism is very hard to describe. One postmodern scholar says, postmodernism is a world jumping from a foundation of truth. We have no idea where it's landing. (coughs) So it's a movement from... The modern worldview to something. But what's it to? Where are we landing? Where are we going? To say something is postmodern, simply it's after the modern worldview, doesn't give you much of a description, does it? Different disciplines, by the way, will define postmodernism differently. Art, world, Architecture, literature, et cetera, will all have different perspectives there. But this is a transitional worldview, a worldview in process. I frankly believe, and we may get to this at the end, we are way beyond postmodernism in Western Europe. We are fast becoming post Christian. And America is moving from modern to postmodern to post Christian very, very rapidly. For example, the change in our country in the last 18 months on the position of homosexual marriage it has changed more in the last 18 months in the USA than it has in the last 100 years. Did you realize that? Did you realize the, this week marks the opening for the first time in US history of retail stores to sell marijuana in Colorado? That's a radical shift from our war on drugs and other kinds of things. We are moving f- very quickly into another world view. Postmodernism introduced something else. You might use this word the unsecularization. What does that mean? The unsecularization. It means that the world is, is we, we tried a religious world view the the pre-modern world view. Then we tried a secular world view, the scientific world view, according to this theory. And now we've moved away from the scientific worldview and the secular worldview to an unsecularization where there's a place for spirituality. But what is that spirituality? It's up to you to decide. There's a movement towards spiritual things. Here's something interesting. You may discover, some of you young people may find out that you're more spiritual than your parents were. Your parents grew up at a time when A secular society was was kind of common, but but you're moving. You're moved by spiritual things. You're more open to spiritual things. Now, they may not be the same religious things that your parents thought. What are the characteristics of the postmodern worldview? There's several dominant ones. We're going to take a look at four of them. One of them is the, the decline of the West, Western culture, Western influence, the decline of the West. Here's a question for you that will reveal this. If you go to any major city of the United States and you ask about their orchestra, what's the ethnic dominance in the orchestra? Asians and Eastern Europeans. I teach at Andrews University. We have a classical radio station there. Very few of our students listen to it. We have a beautiful art center. For classical music, very few go unless they have to for a class. It's an interesting thing that the young people of America are not much interested in our great heritage of Western art and music and so forth. I realize much of it isn't very good, but some of it is wonderful. It's interesting, when I went to Romania, Bulgaria, Eastern Europe, as I've talked to Koreans and, and, and others, I'm discovering they have more of appreciation for great Western art and heritage than many in the West do. Those in the West are turning where? Towards the East. So the decline of the West, the decline of the influence of the West. I didn't just say Walmart, but you get my point. China and the East are dominating our society. And then the aspect of deconstructionism. I put an onion here as a symbol for deconstructionism. I think it's a pretty good symbol. I have thought for several years, what's a good symbol for deconstructionism? And I think an onion is a very fitting one. Deconstructionism is a movement that started first in literature, where it was believed that a text did not have meaning in and of itself. Did you get that point? If, if there was a sentence here that said, the sky is blue, that is not a statement that has meaning in and of itself. It has the meaning that you give to it, the author, the reader, the other people who hear of it. So the meanings are multi-layered and from many, many different perspectives, and they are not inherent in the text itself. Now, you can think of what that implies for Scripture. Right? There's, uh, let me say it again. The words and the sentences and the text itself do not have inherent meaning. The meaning is what one gives to that. Coming through your experience, coming through the things that you've gone through, how you look at it, and so forth. So the text doesn't have the meaning. You have the meaning that you apply into the text. Are you getting that? I call it the onion syndrome because... Where's the onion when you're peeling it? Is it like a coconut? You have the outer shell and the husk and all the rest, and and you get inside to the good stuff, you know? No. Where's the onion? It's every layer. Did you catch that? That's what postmodernism says. Every layer of meaning, everybody's opinion, everybody's view, everyone's perspective, all those things are the truth. Okay. Beware of that, you'll see where it's affecting us. Now I had the privilege of, I say privilege, but it was quite dubious. It's only privilege because I can speak of it in the past tense and I wouldn't go again. But I heard Jacques, Dr. Jacques Derrida, speak about meaning and purpose. He is one of the most noted scholars on postmodernism. I'll come to him in just a moment. Postmodernism wants to do away with metanarratives. What do we mean by metanarratives? A meta-narrative is a grand story that gives meaning to our lives, right? A meta-narrative. For example, you believe in a meta-narrative. In fact, many will go out tomorrow and hand out a meta-narrative. What is it? The great controversy. What is it? It's the grand story that shapes our understanding of life. We believe there's a controversy between good and evil, correct? That's a meta-narrative. Postmodernism rejects meta-narratives. Evolution is a meta-narrative. So not just Christianity is rejected in its meta-narratives, but all grand stories that seek to explain the things of life are set aside. There's no one story that's truth. There may be your little narrative and mine, but there's no grand story. Are you getting that picture? Dr. Jacques Derrida was speaking to probably... 5,000, 6,000 people. I was trying to pay attention. It was not easy. He's a French philosopher. And it went something like this. I'll read, I wrote, I recorded this on my phone so I know it's exactly what he said, okay? And then I wrote it out afterwards and I'm still trying to understand it. At the end of being and nothingness, being in itself and being for itself, we are being. And this is the totality, he would say. This is the totality of the beings in which they were affected. Itself was linked up to itself, relating and appearing to itself by means of the essential project of human reality. Which being interpreted means? I have no idea. At the end of his lecture, someone asked him, do you pray? He said, Prayer. What is prayer? I do not pray because prayer is the the belief that there is a greater force. There is someone out there that I am praying to. But speech isn't speech a prayer? Isn't speech a speaking? And so yes, I am praying even now. So do I pray? I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps not. Yes, perhaps no. This is the question. I was sitting next to a Mennonite pastor. He got up and left and said, I'm going to pray. (laughs) So some other characteristics of postmodernism. This deconstruction we're going to come back to. The idea of relativism. There's no absolute. Things are relative. And pluralism. We'll unpack these in just a moment. Pluralism. Lots of different ways to look at things. There's nothing that's absolute. There's a group that does a lot of posters There's a magazine called Salvo, if you ever have a chance to look at it. It's a Christian magazine that takes aim at some of our cultural things. This is one of their mock advertisements. Absolutes, absolutely not, you know? Uh, Postmodernism has no absolutes except for the fact that you shouldn't have any, which is an absolute, but anyway. Here's an interesting example of postmodernism. This is an advertisement for absolute vodka. By the way, it's the only absolute thing, your liquor. Isn't that pretty tragic, Eh? It's interesting, if you could read the box here, it says the perfect man. Here this woman has ordered the mail order perfect man, and she's assembling him. She's ordered the kind of man she wants and she's putting him together. Now notice something very interesting in in this advertisement. It uses humor there's a little kind of fun that she's reading the instructions because men never do and uh, she's kind of putting it this man together but you know what is interesting if you flip this and this was a man putting a woman together it would be sexist wouldn't it it would be offensive but by just tweaking a little bit it's made it humorous And it's still making the point, there's really nothing absolute, but you can have your absolute wishes, and it's best if you have some vodka to go with it. How tragic. The fourth composite uh, point about postmodernism is pluralism. And here you see this often. You'll see these symbols on cars. You'll see it all over the place. Various symbols of different religions, because the idea is that there's a diversity of truth, but there is no empirical truth. There's no absolute truth. There's no truth for everybody, you know? This is very, very important because this has crept into Christianity in a huge way. Let me tell you the difference in teaching now for me compared to 20 years ago. When I was teaching 20 years ago, students would love to argue in class. They'd come in, you know, I read this, and I'm going to argue about that. You know what students are like today? Oh, whatever, prof. That's just your point of view, see? There's no longer a desire to get at a truth that we can say, we're committed to this. Rather, you know, truth is what? True for those who believe it. Did you catch that? Truth is not truth for everyone. Truth is true for those who believe it. So if you say, you know, I believe it's true, God created us, sure, that's fine. You believe that it's true. Wonderful. I'm happy you feel that way. See? Very tolerant, but very, very relative. And these two are, are like twin sisters, relativism and pluralism. Doctrine, therefore, is only expressive. Now, that's a theological way of saying the following Doctrine is not to tell anybody what they should believe, it's just to express what you think. That's what postmodernism says. So you cannot give a Bible study and say, you know, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That's now becoming normative. You just have to express what you feel about that. You see the difference? Truth is truth for me, but it may not be truth for you. Pervasive attitude in our society today. Pervasive attitude in Western Europe. Truth is truth for me. may not be truth for for you. We often say, works for me, doesn't work for you. No problem. Take it or leave it. There's nothing that you should feel any compulsion to follow. Here's an interesting painting. It's entitled Untitled, which is a creative untitled. Uh, John Seward paints this, and, and it's done in an interesting way. It is a classic oil painting. It's done in very classical style. But if you look closely, this is the epitome of postmodernism. Look at this. Here's a young man coming off the mountain. You may not be able to see well. He's bearded, and he's coming down from the mountain. Does it remind you of anything? Anybody coming down from the mountain with any truth or anything in their hand? Moses, yes. It's a takeoff on some of the classical pictures of Moses. Here's the postmodern Moses, okay? He found spirituality. And and Swyhart here is doing something interesting with a little bit of humor. He's pointing out the fact, when you have no meta-narrative, when you have no big picture of God, you'll go after anything. Did you catch that? When you have no meta-narrative, when you have no big picture for your life, you'll chase after meaning in all kinds of things. You will still look for meaning. And you see here, there's a rabbit's head on this. There's all kinds of vegetables and leaves and and he's kind of into ecology and he's got a special hat on and so forth. So people will seek all kinds of ways to find meaning once they've turned their back on a meta-narrative, on a truth about God that we'd find in the scriptures. Well, this one needs just a moment here. Let me, let me see if we can pause and go back. I'm not much for using internet stuff, but I'll tell you what. This is one of the best articulations of what, um, what postmodernism is. And after hearing some of the things we've talked about, you just might understand this a little bit better. Now let's go back here. Hopefully the technology will work for us. This was not in church, this was in a nightclub.
1: In case you hadn't realized it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about (laughs) or believe strongly in what you're like saying. Invisible question marks and parenthetical, you knows, and you know what I'm saying. I've been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences, even when those sentences aren't, like, questions. (laughs) Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, you know, declare things to be true, okay? As opposed to other things that are, like, totally, you know, not. They've been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone. As if I'm saying, don't think I'm a nerd just because I've, like, noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just, like, inviting you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. What has happened to our conviction. Where are the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been like chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? <laughs> or do we have like nothing to say? Has society just become so filled with these conflicting feelings of Nye-deh"? that we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a long time ago. (laughs) So I implore you, I entreat you, and I challenge you to speak with conviction. To say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. you got to
0: speak with it, too. Interesting. I'm told that the battery's going on the... Wireless mic, so I'll need to stay by here a little bit. That's hard for me to stand still, but we'll try. Interesting to find that a man speaking to a nightclub audience identifies and, and articulates postmodernism better than I've heard it anywhere else. He really understands what is being said. We're becoming an inarticulate generation who questions authority and no longer speaks with it. What does that say to us as Christians? Just briefly, some contrast between modernism and postmodernism, modernism uh, And these will all be on the, on the handout you can get online. But, but the idea that modernism focused on design and narrative and, and the creation of art and so forth, as opposed to postmodernism, which deals with things like chance rather than design, which deals with things such as, as uh, performance art which began as people began knocking uh, cans of paint off the roof of some high buildings landing on the canvas below, and they would call it paint, or another very famous postmodern artwork, which is offensive to, to think of publicly. Uh, a man urinated into a glass beaker where there was a crucifix and some beads for Mary and then called it uh, uh, an obscene title, and this was supposed to be art, you see, This is supposed to be pushing the boundaries rather than creating. Uh, We don't create music. We sample and remix it and so forth. So this idea of performance art began to come in further and further. And instead of a narrative, we have an anti-narrative dimension that becomes very, very strong. How has this impacted Christianity? It has impacted Christianity in many, many different ways. First of all, be aware of this. Most of Christianity today is expressed... In the context of a Christian worldview, most of what we talk about was developed in a Christian worldview perspective. And so we're used to teaching propositional truth. We're used to teaching, thus says the Lord, the scripture says, the Bible says. And I don't know if you've noticed, but to go to somebody and says, the Bible says, and they're like, so what? Billy Graham used to do evangelism in the United States for 40, 50 years. And what did he always say? The Bible says, and today, postmodern folks are like, yeah, the Bible says that. Everything else says something different. So what, you know, it's not that it's truth, you know. Postmodernism has the idea that it's arrogant to claim to know the truth. Did you catch that? If you think you know the truth, and I hope you do. But if you articulate that to someone, they may look at you thinking, who do you think you are that you think you know better about life than I do? You have better truth than I do? You have, a, you have something more meaning to your life than I have? What makes you think you're any better? It seems arrogant. Notice this, postmodernism accepts the supernatural but not as a source of truth, objective truth. The supernatural is okay as a source of experiential truth. Let me give you the difference. If you came into a cafe, if you came into a dorm room on most of campuses in the United States and Western Europe, and you said, you know what? (sighs) I had a dream last night, and I saw this, like, wow, really? Or I was smoking something and I had this experience. Or I stood out in the cold and looked at the sky and saw the stars coming closer and closer. Wow. But if you said, I was reading my Bible this morning, now you have entered into what? Spiritual truth that is supernatural and it's not experiential. You see the difference? So, talking about what I've experienced is fine. But talking about what Scripture teaches, there's a deep resistance to that. So, here's the deal. And don't think this is out there because I find this among my students all the time now. Experience God and you'll have the right theology. This is what is shared, this is what is practiced. It's dangerous. Experience God, you'll have the right theology. I was visiting jail one time in a jail ministry situation and ran into a guy I was talking to. What are you in for? And he goes, I was in for, I got caught smoking weed. I said, why were you doing that? You knew it was illegal. And he goes, you know, because in jail they just talk. You know, they're not ashamed of talking what they're in for. And he goes like, yeah, well, Jesus told me. Jesus told me to smoke it. And I said, was that before or after you started? You know what I'm saying? He believed Jesus told him to smoke drugs. You know? There's a woman in Las Vegas who's a stripper for Jesus because she had a vision that she should do this. There's people doing all kinds of things because they've had some mystical spiritual experience and you can't question it. You can never say, but how does that line up with the scriptures? Because that would be what? That would be judging. And to be judgmental is to be very, very offensive. We'll come back to that in a moment. My students often say, you know, you you shouldn't judge people. And they always quote, you know, judge not, you be not judged. By the way, they never quote the ones that say by their fruit you shall know them, which I think has some, and then we'll get real clever. We'll say, well, I'm not judging. I'm just a fruit inspector. Well, call it what you like. It's still the same thing. It's discernment, isn't it? A young woman said in class a while back, you know, we shouldn't judge people. I said, would you go out with any guy on this campus? She said, no. I said, well, you're judging. You know? I mean, let's bring it down to practical basis. We all need to judge. I'm very glad that my wife judged me and was willing to marry me in pity anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the church is under attack because the church is the institution of what? Where we still assert morality, we still assert truth. And as soon as you take a moral stand, in every election in the last 12 years, in every single election cycle, there's been a candidate who has said something that they believe in and they get mocked from then on. For example, one candidate stated that he believed homosexual relationships, homosexual practices were a sin. He said, I'm a Christian. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. For the next six weeks, Saturday Night Live, and all the rest of them were mocking him week after week after week. Why? Because he had dared to speak a conviction that he had of objective truth. So the church is the place that's offensive. And if you listen to any of the interviews where people go out on the street and ask people about the church, what do people say about the church today? It's legalistic, it's rigid, it's judgmental, etc. Why? Why? Because we don't want any of that in our society. We want everybody to be able to do whatever they want to do. I think it's called the Book of Judges. There's no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Right? Here's another one of these uh, kind of sarcastic posters. Relevance, tell me what I want to hear or I'll shut up and go away. That's kind of the perspective. What are some of the most important values? Does anyone know what is the most important value of postmodernism? It's tolerance. The most important value. Now, there is legitimate tolerance, which is kind of removing friction. And there's illegitimate tolerance I want to talk about in just a moment that is a kind of moral weakness. Okay. Sometimes tolerance is a moral weakness. Did you catch that? Sometimes it's moral exclusivity and, and pharisaical things. But in fact, it can be a sign of moral weakness. Let's, let's take a look at the difference. Fulton Sheen, I don't quote him often, but in this case, he got it right. Tolerance applies to persons, never to principles. Intolerance applies only to principles, never to persons. What does he mean? Improper tolerance is a tolerance that says anybody and any idea is okay and should not be considered wrong. Because if you say something is wrong, then you're being what? Intolerant. By the way, how can any kind of thinking take place in that environment? Logic, reasoning have to go out the window because everything is okay. All positions, we should be tolerant of all positions. By the way, that always means all positions except the Christian viewpoint. All positions except a moral viewpoint. But improper tolerance says tolerate everything. You know, we should not think that some views are more right than other views. Proper tolerance says this. Notice the difference. Because of grace and truth, because I am convicted of grace, I discern the error in another person's belief or another person's statement. However, in grace, I will respect them and their right to their opinion, but not necessarily to agree that that opinion is truth. Are you getting it? Jesus was incredibly tolerant of people. But he's also very, very clear that some things were not truth. He says, go and what? Sin no more. That's an intolerant attitude towards sin, correct? But he's very tolerant. Neither do I condemn you. Okay. So we need to make this distinction between proper and improper tolerance, which seems to be hard for people to do. Let's celebrate our differences and diversity, even though you're clearly wrong. You know, that kind of is what people are saying underneath their breath. You know? And so postmodernism emphasizes viewpoints. This is an example of viewpoints. Are people going up, down, sideways? It just depends on the way you look at it, you know? I could flip this many different ways, and and it would still keep coming up a little bit confusing. All points of view are okay. And then we have a good Argentinian poster on postmodernism. My friend Andres will understand this. Now we've really found out we can discover truth by a group hug. If we could all just love each other, wouldn't everything be okay? But that is to gloss over any real differences. So what is truth? What difference does it make? Isn't that the question that someone asked when Jesus stood before them? Hmm? It's the question of Pilate. What is truth? I think Pilate was exceedingly postmodern in his approach because after all, in mark 15 when he talks about talks to jesus he says what is truth is he really searching for it no what does he know for truth truth is standing right in front of him truth is jesus christ truth is the fact that jesus if he wouldn't accept jesus as the christ the messiah he at least knew that jesus was an innocent man and if you're a judge what is the one truth you have to do free the innocent declare him not guilty He knew the truth, it stood in front of him, but he says, what is truth? As if there isn't really any truth. And then he goes out and washes his hands so he has no personal responsibility, and then feels that he's done what he can do. That's a very postmodern approach. In fact, theology does matter, truth matters. The content of our faith is of vital importance. It does matter what we believe. The way we perceive, the way we interpret the Bible, affects our beliefs and our lifestyles. We become like the God we worship, correct? Did you catch that? We become like the understanding of God that we worship. Why is it that many people have turned away from God because of the teaching of everlasting burning hell? Because they say, that's the kind of God I cannot accept. That character doesn't fit with eternal love. Truth really, really matters. But the postmodern response is, well, it's just truth for you, not for all of us. It's interesting. All religions have at least two characteristics. What are they? All religions, every single religion has at least two characteristics. This is why I say Buddhism, if you're here at the last session, is in fact a religion because it has beliefs and it has what else? Behaviors. All religions do. Now, which one is more important, beliefs or behaviors? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question, huh? Which is more important, beliefs? OK, how many of you think beliefs are more important? Thumbs up. How many of you think behaviors are more important? Other hand, thumbs up. How many of you are not thinking? Thumbs up. Yeah, OK. All right. It's very interesting to ask the question, beliefs are what? Not as visible, behaviors are more visible, Excuse me, most of the time when you know people, you know them because of the, if they're of a different faith, it's because of what you saw in their behavior or in their appearance, you know? I was flying one time and sitting next to a gentleman on the plane. We got to talking. He said, You know, we came up, they always ask me, What do you teach? And I say, Students. I never understand that question. And then he said, Well, what do you teach? What subjects do you teach? And we got into religion and so on and so forth. What school? And I mentioned Andrews University. What religion have the Avenue? And he said, Ah! Seventh-day Adventist, I know them. You're the people who created peanut butter. He said, well, actually, I don't think we did. That's a very famous scientist by the name of George Washington Carver, an African-American scientist. We didn't create peanut butter. I said, but what makes you say that? He said, you know, I used to work with the Seventh-day Adventist. Every day everyday in his lunch, he had peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I asked him one time, how come you eat that every day? And he says, Hey. We're avinist, we invented it. He was joking, but the guy believed him, you know? <laughs> Behaviors are more visible, but in fact, beliefs are more influential. They influence us. Behind every distinctive behavior, look for what? A distinctive belief. Did you catch that? We should look different than the world, correct? And behind that behavior and appearance should be a belief system. A very good thing to do when you meet somebody who looks different or acts different than you is just ask them a simple question. You know, I'm interested in the way you dress. It's very attractive. Can you tell me why? Most people are not threatened by that, you know? Just ask a question. What's the beliefs behind your behaviors? This is true for all religions. Muslims have behaviors. Hindus have behaviors. Christians have behaviors. We believe and that affects how we behave. Get it? So beliefs are the source of behaviors, but watch it now because it's going to get real interesting. Beliefs are what? The source of behaviors. However, what happens when we get new information that changes what we believe? Then we need to start changing our behavior. For example, the guy who believes it's wrong to cheat and then cheats on an exam. He's got to do something. He's got to say, oops, I didn't live according to my belief system. Or he begins to say what? Everybody does it. It's really no big deal. It's a stupid teacher anyway. The test is way too hard. This isn't going to matter, etc. We begin to change our beliefs. Are you getting the idea? Changing the beliefs or the behaviors. OK? What happens if you don't? The next two-word description, I think, sadly, describes many, many Christian young people today. It's called cognitive dissonance. And what is cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance is the inner conflict we have when our beliefs and our behaviors are not compatible. Did you catch that? When our beliefs and our behaviors are not compatible. I worked with a couple one time who were in a deep... Relationship, I believe they loved each other, but they had gone off for the weekend away from school, not at Andrews University, another place, but it could happen anywhere. They had gone off, this young couple unmarried, they spent the weekend at a, at a motel together, and they got into a huge fight, a Seventh-day Adventist couple, this guy and a girl staying in a motel room together, they got in a huge fight on Friday night because he wanted to watch TV. And she was very upset. And he's like, you know, we're having sex and we're not married. And if that's okay, then what's wrong with watching TV? You see what I'm saying? And she was really struggling with this. Breaking her purity was one thing. Breaking her Sabbath, that was harder. I mean, she was just very, very convoluted in her thinking. Cognitive dissonance requires us to change either what? Our behavior or our beliefs. Did you catch that? You will change your behavior or your beliefs if you're not living what you profess. One of them's going to have to change. We have all kinds of anxiety and struggle because, in fact, your brain was created to be consistent with your life, right? That's why it's so important for people to experience people of other religions, other backgrounds, other cultures, because it breaks up your stereotypes. When I was in college, a guy came to our school uh, to play uh, to, to come to school there. And the first day of school, the basketball coach saw him and started smiling. The guy was six six, African American. He knew that year they would have a basketball team. He knew that year they might actually get some rebounds. You know, he knew if I have a six six African American. They can jump, we can get some rebounds, we can play some ball. And I had to say to the coach, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to be pretty disappointed. This guy grew up as a missionary kid in Africa, and he plays a lot of soccer, and he plays the violin. Not typical of what you're expecting from an African-American. You've got to break out of our stereotypes. We have to get our cognitive dissonance straightened out. I often introduce myself as an African-American. I am. I was born in Cairo, Egypt. That's Africa. I'm an American. I'm an African-American. Break out of our labels. Break out of our boxes that we put people in. Okay? When I've signed forms and they ask you, what is your race? Unless it's a government form that would land me in jail, I always put down human. <laughs> you know why? The Bible has no recognition of race. Are you aware of that? The Bible recognizes languages, cultures, religions, but there's no reference to race. We're the human race. When we have incompatible beliefs, we will want to try to change something. So pity the young person growing up in Adventism who knows all the teachings but has not experienced the Savior. Did you hear what I said? Who knows all about the things not to do but has never discovered the joy. Sooner or later, probably when they graduate from college, they'll leave. They will leave it behind because they have to start believing what they're already living. Remember this, your beliefs influence your behaviors, but here's something else, your behaviors can change your beliefs. It goes both ways. So let's think about building bridges, let's think about reaching out. Building bridges in the postmodern world is very, very necessary. Uh, Bridges join what is separated, bridges uh, provide connections and make relationships. And I would suggest when you're dealing with those who are postmodern, you need to think about building bridges and establishing boundaries. Those are two things you need to do. You need to know what you believe, that's establishing boundaries. Then you need to build bridges, finding connecting points with others. Are you getting it? Know your boundaries, know what you believe. Boundaries define, boundaries protect. You need to know what are your beliefs then you need to build bridges to other people. And scripture has multiple evidence. If we had another two hours, uh, you can look these up later. They'll be on the handout. But these are all passages that talk about both. For example, the prophets speak against, uh, Ezekiel and others speak against the priest who no longer distinguished between the sacred and the profane. They didn't recognize the boundary. Okay? The call to come out of Babylon. Cross that boundary. Understand the difference between truth and error. But also this very radical thing when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, we saw some people out there who were healing people and they did not have their GYC badge on. And we told them to stop it. They're not disciples. They're not truly one of us. And Jesus said, if he's not against me, he's with me. That's a very, very tolerant view. I wonder if we would take it. No matter what postmoderns say, they still want to believe in something, and so they'll believe in all kinds of things. Another one of these posters: I believe in extraterrestrial life, primordial soup, abiogenesis, endosymbiosis, etc., etc., etc. People will find something to hang on to because they want to believe in something. The positive side is the postmodernism says, "Come back from your passionless orthodoxy." Did you hear me? We have churches and homes and individuals today who know the truth, but it doesn't affect their lives. It's as dry as can be. Like the hills of Gabo, the prophet says. Postmodernism says, I don't want your passionless faith anymore. I want to have a faith that moves you, a faith that is worth willing to commit my life for. I want a faith that is passion-driven, not just purpose-driven. That that can take some time to think about. Passion-driven. In youth ministry today, there's a clear recognition that young people are no longer looking for a church to join. They're looking for a faith to be part of that makes a difference. They don't want to commit their lives to small things. You've got to show them that you have a passionate faith and a passionate Lord and something to live for. And the centrality of relationships making that connection individual to individual. Look what Paul said years ago. It really fits well as we move to conclusion. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come by eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you, how? In weakness and fear. Catch that. Coming in weakness is attractive. It's an authenticity that postmoderns love. And I came with trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest in men's wisdom, but on God's power. What a wonderful thing it would be if postmodernism actually calls us back to the power of the gospel, the power of truth, the power of the Holy Spirit. Just in conclusion, a very short video.
2: A man fell in a hole. He fell in a hole, and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind. And when he reached nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength and in the hold he remained. There was something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. Dragged him into the light, and the man in the hole, who could not get himself out, was saved.
0: I hope you realize that what we need is not a philosophy. What we need is not just the way of life. What we need, and what this world needs, is a savior. And I'm so thankful that we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, and I hope that you will be compelled to go and share with others the one that you know has made the difference in your life. And if you can speak from an authentic experience, it makes all the difference in the world. It's hard to reach a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a postmodern, but you know, there's nothing like genuine faith, a genuine personal experience that can transform a conversation into a divine encounter, I pray that God will be with you as you go forth to share with others, and I hope that we've stirred up your hearts and minds just a little. Um, we will have the. Uh, let me. I'll put on the screen once again the uh, the final uh, slide because it does tell you where you can get the the handout here, and that may be helpful for you. All the handouts are available if you'd like to to look at them or, or refer to them again, and. Uh, I just pray that you'll, you'll take the time to think about how God can use you. Let's bow our heads for prayer and then we'll take some questions afterwards. I know some of you need to go. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the reality that you have given us truth. Truth not to be arrogant about, truth not to be superior about, but truth that we can embrace and we can feel an obligation, a desire to share with others. Lord, I know what my life would be like without you, and I would never want someone else to go on that road. So I want to share you, Jesus, my Savior, with everyone else. I pray that that can be our desire. May we have a deep and abiding conviction that as we learn of you, we must share you, for that's the only way our faith can grow. When we come into your kingdom, Lord, we look forward to seeing millions and millions from all different walks of life, from many, many different backgrounds. Some of them will even ask us about Jesus, and we'll have a chance to share even more. What a day that will be. May each of us be there. In the name of pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.